You're listening to episode 43 of Chirps, a St. Louis Cardinals podcast for Birds on the Black. I'm Tara, he's Alex, and the Cardinals played five games in 52 hours and stayed in first place. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I am back this week after a bit of a break last week for work. I was unavailable, but no worries. Ben Godar stepped in once again with Alex last week, and it was a great show. If you have not listened to it yet, make sure you get around to it, and then you can follow it up with this week's show. I am Tara Wellman. He is Alex Crisofoli. We are back together this week to talk about a marathon week of baseball for the St. Louis Cardinals that, Alex, I don't know about you, but I wasn't feeling great about the way that the schedule worked out over the weekend in particular. And then it was a long homestand anyway, with one scheduled doubleheader, then the rain out after everyone had been at the ballpark all day, followed by back to back. It just was a lot. And for a team that hasn't always handled the challenges presented to them in any given scenario particularly well. I was a little worried about five games in what, like 52 hours or something like that for a team trying to cling to a division lead. It was a little nerve wracking, but I don't think we could have asked for much better from this team over the weekend. No, and, and I had major anxiety about it as well. I think because I always just assume with a doubleheader, that means a split. Yeah, you know, You're going to win one, yeah. you're going to lose one, which I I don't want to say thought we could ill afford to do um, with the Cubs, I believe, because we entered the weekend, what, a game up. Uh, but it just didn't seem ideal. And like you said, it, it could not have gone I, it could have, you know, we could have won every game, but I'm not going to complain about winning a four or five, especially when we easily could have lost two of those games. Uh, you know, we won two of those in walk-off fashion, two uh, late comeback wins. Uh, so yeah, it, it it could barely have been scripted better. I, I'm still sort of, I guess, nervous about it because when you have a weekend like that, and I don't, I, I saw people were talking about when the last time this is done before, you know, having uh, back-to-back doubleheaders and. Clearly, it's been done several times in my lifetime. I don't remember it happening before. I I certainly wasn't watching all the games like I did this weekend. But when you have games like that bunched together, the, I guess, aftershocks still don't quite go away because, you know, we still have to deal with Michael Waka starting tomorrow on short rest. And so I almost want to say they haven't quite gotten through it yet, even though it's several days ago now at this point, if that makes sense. It does. In fact, on Sunday night before the final game of the second doubleheader had actually happened, I was telling Daniel Shopta that, you know, at that point they'd run the they'd won the first three games. And even if they lost the last game, you know, oh, well, you still feel pretty good about the weekend. But my concern was that this all comes crashing down because of those aftershocks, right? Because of the tiredness in the arms or just the the hours spent having to be at your peak or the, you know, whatever it is. And, and you're right, we still haven't seen what that could look like. The Cardinals still have to play the Brewers and the Cubs a, a lot at the end of the season in a division that's been quite close all year. So uh, we probably haven't seen the end of the impact of this weekend, but you can only really do so much. And they did everything that they needed to do in that regard. And it was interesting. You mentioned they won in different ways. They won big the first game against the Reds. Then they won in walk-offs in the next two. And they got really great starting pitching for the most part and in all three of those games. The fourth with Ponce Leon was not quite up to the par of the others, but you know those are things that <laughs> you can't expect seven scoreless innings or whatever from, from all five of your starters in a rotation. So great starting pitching, which has been sort of a concern reasonably, I think, for a lot of people, us included. We've talked a lot about the starting pitching, So to get that under control in a series where it could have gone so poorly if they'd gotten short starts from any one of those starters, but then to be able to kind of step up the offense when necessary, you know, come through instead of falling short, that felt like a significant difference as well. And it it kind of starts at the top of the order, right, with Dexter Fowler and Colton Wong leading the charge. 
And yeah. Yadier Molina, who won Player of the Week. So I guess we can mention him too. Yeah, so I, I was looking at this. Uh, you brought up Fowler and Wong. And just out of curiosity, I wanted to look at their stats um, since we returned West um, when we got swept by the A's and Dodgers. Um, so since August 9th on, uh, Fowler has a 394 on base and Wong has a 480. And Wong hasn't been in that two spot the entire time, you know, but... And, and, you know, we're also doing some major cherry picking because they've also won like, what, 17 of 21 games, you know, <laughs> during this time the offense has been doing things that they're not going to be able to sustain. But that is nice just to see kind of what we always thought we were going to kind of have with Fowler and Carpenter, which is like two table setters at the very top. And, you know, we're yeah. getting in it, I guess, in a kind of a, a way we didn't quite imagine because um, I, I didn't think we'd ever see Fowler back in the in the leadoff spot. I thought, you know. I guess I thought Carpenter kind of locked that down. And, you know, I just never thought Wong would fit in well at the number two spot. And I'm still not quite positive that he does, but he's certainly doing a great job of faking it. Uh, and he certainly belongs somewhere because, I mean, I feel like if you squint hard enough, you can make a case he could be like on some, get some like down ballot MVP votes. Am I crazy for saying this? Uh, you know, his on base has improved a ton this year. And you always ha- have to be a little, I guess, suspicious of that because, you know, he's had um, close to 40% of his plate appearances from the eighth hole. Uh, and as people know, I- I've-, I've made this mistake before in the past citing his on base and then, you know, not realizing, oh, well, that's because he was getting so many intentional walks in front of the pitcher. So you always <laughs> have to be careful about that. So I went to Fangraph's, uh, uh, splits leaderboards and I, and I just stripped out all the plate appearances um, anytime he was batting eighth just to look at it. And he has a 368 on base in uh, 280 plate appearances um, everywhere else, you know, and, and that's obviously he's not getting walked in front of Paul Goldschmidt or, you know, intentionally yeah. walked in front of Paul Goldschmidt or who else. So I, I think that's a really good sign. And, and also he, he's put up uh, again, away from the eighth spot, he's put up 287, 368, as I mentioned, 450, 115 WRC+. plus. That is a guy who's going to get MVP votes when he plays defense like he does from second base. Uh, So he's just been just super exciting. I'm just curious in hearing you say that because obviously (laughs) I have to sort of check myself when it comes to where Colton Wong stacks up against everyone else and make sure that there are numbers to back up my position because I've been... And I want to emphasize again, just so that people maybe who haven't been around for a a long time know, I'm not just like this crazy fangirl of Colton Wong. I've just been such a supporter of his because I've believed in the game that I believe he can play. And I saw that way back when he started out at A-Ball when I was covering him when the Quad Cities River Bandits were a, a Cardinals affiliate. So it's not just this sort of like whimsical, he's my favorite player, so I'm going to say he's the best in the game. There, there's always been something to back that up. It's just nice that there are actual numbers to associate with it at this point. But because it's been such a long journey for him, I wonder if even those numbers are going to be enough to get the attention of the rest of baseball. Because I was having this conversation a little bit today even because – uh, we just learned that Yadier Molina was named the NL Player of the Week. Um, we're recording this on Tuesday night, as we always do. And that's great. I mean, Yadier's been terrific since he came back off of the IL, in particular in this last stretch. But Colton Wong's actually been better. <laughs> and the award still goes to Yadier Molina. So yeah. it just it, it feels like he doesn't have the name recognition to garner enough attention for those numbers to really back up a run for something like that. He... Uh, so I, I have uh, two reasons for why, um, you know, Yachty might stand out more than Colton Wong. The first is what you just said. He doesn't have the name recognition that Yachty does. Um, he's also sort of been steadily doing this all year, whereas Yachty was having a pretty dreadful season at the plate. And then he came back right. and had a great what week and a half. And when you do that, you stand out a little bit more. You know yeah. what I mean? So yeah. so that could have something to do with it as well. And I want to be clear. I'm not saying Colton Wong is an MVP of the National League this year by any means, um, or even top five. I'm saying like if someone – I don't even know how they do it anymore. How many names do you get to write down now? I don't or, know. Or whatever remember. the number is. You know, I'm to, saying he's yeah. like the type of guy who someone could throw on their ballot somewhere. It could be, it could be someone from the – you know, who pays attention to the NL Central, who covers this, this – 
division, right? Who sees him all the time. That's what I think is going to hurt him is that, you know, not everybody actually sees him play. (laughs) So the numbers maybe don't jump out. Not that, again, to your point, I'm not saying he should be one of the top candidates for MVP, but that's the significance he's had in this sort of jumpstarting this run in the second half, I think, for this team. Yeah, I was at the game uh, last Saturday uh, against the Rockies. Uh, they won 6 nothing, um, And that was the game where he fouled the ball off the top of his foot. And, <laughs> I, you know, since I'm at the game, I'm not on my phone. I, I don't quite, I'm not, you know, up to speed like everyone else might be. Um, but, oh my gosh. All right, Tara, just watch what about just watch what it's what's about to happen on your television. <laughs> I'm a little delayed, by the way. Yeah. We should we should let you know we're yeah. in the eighth inning. Why don't you do play by play if you want to? Okay. All right. So top of the eighth, Jack Flaherty's pitching a shutout, a one hit shutout, by the way. Two outs, two two pitch, fouled off. You're way behind. Oh my gosh. Sometimes you know what? When <laughs> when you asked me earlier, we before we started this, he said, Oh, did you just see that? And I wasn't that far behind. And now all of a sudden I'm like 45 seconds to a minute behind. Um, he's at Flaherty's at 112 pitches, by the way. There it is. There's the hit to center field. Bader coming in hard, makes the diving play. Let's talk about Bader for yeah, a minute because yeah. he was a huge part of this weekend series. He came back from Memphis uh, like a man on a mission. I mean, he looks like a completely different player. And I say that feeling like, you know, I, I, have sort of an expectation for the player he can be and he's taken it back up a notch to what we saw from him last year that had everyone so excited about him I think it only takes a few of those plays for him to make him center field (laughs) for you to remember why we loved him so much and overlooked any sort of flaw he had at the plate and you know there were certainly um, a few of those but how many good catches have you seen him make in the last week I feel like I can think of four off the top of my head right now, including the one, uh, you know, that just occurred. He has, he's been great. Um, This is how you win. (laughs) Everyone's been great. That's why they've won, you know, uh, how many, what is it? Eight, 17 of 21, 18 of 20. I don't even know what it is now at this point, but it's been a lot of games. Uh, Yeah. But I I go back to what I said, I think at the beginning of the season and, um, I also recognize that, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, we were saying, you know, it's the front office, you know, why shouldn't they have maybe traded him for, you know, Wheeler at, at the trade deadline, um, which, you know, at the time did kind of make sense. And I think it you could still make an, a, a decent argument for it now, although it doesn't not quite as well since the starting pitching has been really good lately, um, including Michael Walker, who we can talk about a little bit later. But at the beginning of the season, I basically, my whole thing with Bader was, I don't care if he's not that great at the plate because his defense is so good in center field. And I was assuming we were going to have a lot of pop uh, with, from Matt Carpenter, Paul Goldschmidt, and Ozuna. And really, Ozuna has been the only one who's kind of followed through on that. So it, it's always been a thing with him that you can hide his bat in a lineup, and it's totally fine because his, his uh, defense is that good. The problem is when you're not getting any offense from anybody – um, and you're just trying to figure out s- s- somehow, some way to actually get some runs on the, you know, runs on the board. Yeah, th- that's when his kind of uh, not great bat sticks out. But when he's playing defense like this, and when he's hitting like this, which you know we saw him go on a go on a few runs like this last year, he's he's really valuable. And I, and I just feel so, I don't know, I just feel so much more confident having him out there. Yeah, it really does make a difference defensively, especially. Jose Martinez did not look great in the innings he spent in right field this weekend. But when you can put a a defense of Bader in center field and Dexter Fowler, who's playing much better in right field and Marcelo Zuna, who is actually surprisingly good (laughs) defensively, I think he makes a, he takes a lot of routes that are a bit of an adventure, but more often than not, he gets there. Uh, at least since falling off the wall in left field, which I, I don't <laughs> still seems to be the turning point for his season, but that's a, a, an entirely different story. But that outfield defense does seem to be pretty solid. And with Bader in center field, those other two don't have to cover as much ground, which makes them better fielders as well. So yeah, having Harrison Bader back and playing like he is, is a, a huge asset to this team, just like, having Colton Wong playing up to his potential is just like Dexter Fowler being the leadoff guy. They it thought they brought to St. Louis a couple of years ago. 
notably absent from a lot of this conversation is Matt Carpenter, although he did pick up the walk-off in the first of the two walk-offs over the weekend with a a base hit that drove in the game-winning run. So big moment for him there as well. But like you said, the pitching really is what set the tone, which is funny because the starting pitching in every game of the weekend actually gave up runs early and then the Cardinals had to come back. So that wasn't necessarily what you think of as far as tone setting, but they were able to settle it down and not let the game get away from them. Just a couple of runs early in each of those cases. Michael Waka has to be the biggest surprise. And keep in mind that whole mess of five games in 52 hours happened without Jack Flaherty, <laughs> um, who, by the way, just finished eight innings of shutout ball against the Giants. One hit, I believe, on the night. So Jack Flaherty continuing to do terrific things as he's settled into this role in the second half. But I want to talk about Michael Waka because that was the biggest surprise, I think, for me of the weekend was not only to see him pitch well, but to see him go deep into the game, to see him look much more like the sort of classic Michael Waka of the successful times of his career. And then to find out that he's going to be pitching Wednesday on short rest in a, uh, a, a predetermined short start, they're calling it. So he's basically going to be the opener, mm-hmm. but whatever you want to call it, they're going back to that. Well, and I don't know, a lot of people seemed bothered by that. A lot of people seemed surprised based on what he did over the weekend. I'm not at all surprised that they're giving Michael Walker the start on Wednesday. Are you? No, um, the the funny thing with him is uh, if you go back to early June, his last 14 starts, he hasn't been that bad. Uh, yeah. like, and he hasn't been like really good or anything. And the peripheral stats are never probably going to love him because he doesn't, you know, he doesn't strike out a ton of guys. But he he's only been he's walking uh, uh, fewer than seven percent of batters. He's getting a lot of ground balls. I think he I think I looked his last fourteen starts something like uh, sixty two or sixty five innings. I forget like a three point nine zero ERA, which is something you can certainly live with in this day and age with this starting rotation. It's also stranding, like, I think it said 87% of runners. So, you know, he's been very passable is what I would call him. And it it makes me happy because I really felt like he was a trooper earlier this year when there were a few times when it just seemed like the team just let him left him out there to die. <laughs> I think, I don't remember if it was a game against the Phillies, uh, someone where they were just teeing off him. And I don't remember how many runs they scored. And I just felt like Michael Waka doesn't deserve this. Like, you know, they aren't doing him any favors to his confidence, obviously to his stat line, which is going to be important to him entering free agency. Uh, And so to see him sort of bounce back like this um, and to possibly go out, uh, because it's hard to envision him being with the team next year. Do you agree? Oh, yeah, (laughs) definitely. Yeah. And so so to see him go have the chance to maybe, you know, if we're stipulating that he's going to be gone to go out on a better note than what it looked like from the first half of the season. And that makes me really happy because he's been one of my, uh, he's been um, one of my favorite Cardinals of the last, you know, 10 years or so. Talk to me, you know, again, tomorrow night and I might be <laughs> mad at Schilt, you know, for, for, you know, starting him on short rest, but you know, it's not like Schultz was in the easiest position when when they're stuck with this scenario of of back to back doubleheaders. So, yeah, I'm I'm not as worried about it as I would have been even two or three weeks ago. But yeah, good for him. He's been good. He's been he's been what we've needed to to be able to sort of sustain this um, uh, run we've had since the All Star break. You know, it's interesting. I I'm not. I'm not going to disagree with that, but I am going to just point out Uh that the thing that I think concerns people, and rightfully so, is that he's gone five innings in two of his last 10 starts, five innings or or more. So I think what's made him successful, what's made him effective to those numbers that you were talking about has actually been Mike Schultz's usage of him and being willing to pull him before he implodes or pull him before he goes through the lineup a third time or pull him in favor of generating some offense or the possibility of that. I think we've seen Mike Schultz be much more aggressive with Michael Waka and when they get him out of games. And that's led to 
less of a mess <laughs> to clean up later in games at times. Although I would have to go back and look at it, but I think I feel like when he's gotten in the most trouble, it's actually been early in games, not uh, not the later he goes into a game. So I, I don't quite know how you balance that out, but I feel like maybe Mike Schilt has gotten a handle on where Michael Waka is and and how to know when he's been as effective as he can be. He's done his job. You can move on to the next guy. And I think that's part of what has allowed him to be a, a successful part of this team. But then to see him go out and pitch seven innings, something he hadn't done since June 28th, it was it was really special. And it was I don't know that there could have been any better time for it. It kind of had hints of that time where there were a couple of near no hitters for Michael Walker. Not that it was that, but it was just like him being able to go out and kind of bear down and quietly do his job. And then all of a sudden you look back and go, oh, we're we're in the seventh inning. How did that happen? And that's the kind of Michael Walker that is obviously the most successful over the course of his career. I don't know that we can really anticipate he replicates that obviously going on short rest on Wednesday may factor in the point is again I expect Mike Schilt to be aggressive with when to take Michael Walker out of the game one because it's short rest two though because he's just learned how to manage that part of this rotation a little better and with rosters expanding with a lot of other guys there a lot of other options they certainly don't have to be too careful with trying to push him through innings it will be an interesting test, I think, because the reality is this team that went 18 and nine in August has a, a couple of weeks, a week and a half or so before things really get tough for them at the end of the year. And they don't really have a lot of wiggle room to sort of give up starts that aren't effective. So I, I don't know. How short do you think that leash is for Michael Walker on Wednesday? Um, probably a stupid answer, but as absolutely short as it needs to be. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've been sticking with the theme of, you know, we're not messing around anymore. Um, you, you know, uh, here's what I loved about this past weekend. And I, I swear this is going to re- relate to what we're talking about right now is when Ben and I were talking last week, the Cardinals had a three game cushion on the Cubs. You know, if I'm a Cubs fan, you know, your mindset there is kind of like, okay, let's get it to, uh, let's cut it to, you know, two games or one game by the time we hit September, you know, and, and they had actually done that. And then it went right back to where they started from, you know, back to three games. So they have to make all that up again. Now, maybe this is all a moot point since there's still seven games remaining between the clubs. And, you know, it's not one of those situations where, you know, if they're in different divisions, like say it was a wild card chase and, you know, kind of two things had to happen if they weren't facing each other, meaning one team win and one team lose. I said this was going to relate to what we were talking about. Remind me again what we were just talking about. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is not the time for messing around anymore. You know, yeah. so uh, these games, especially these games right now, really matter. Like the Cardinals really need to win these games because soon it's going to be the Nationals in town. Uh, soon we're going to be going to Arizona, those games with the Cubs. Uh, so we really want to bank these wins um, against the Giants if we can. And um, I'll let you see it with your own eyes, Tara. I'm not going to spoil it for you what just happened. Um, and they need to keep doing what they've been doing, which is winning series. You know, you don't have to sweep a three-game series. Just take two of three, you know. Just keep plodding along and winning the series that, that you should win. Um, and that includes this giant series. So if Walk is in trouble early, you get him out of there. We're, we're in expanded rosters. You know, we can handle it. We have arms in the pen. But these are games you really need to win to keep pressure on the teams that are chasing you. Right. Absolutely. I mean, I don't think I don't think they have a choice but to continue to be aggressive. And and a lot of that falls on Mike Schultz's shoulders and knowing how mm-hmm. and when and what strings to pull and all of that. No, I haven't seen the end of the game. Uh, yet. <laughs> wait, how do you know it's the end? I have game day pulled up. Oh, OK, OK, OK. Um, well, well, let me say something real quick. The Cardinals just won this game, won nothing. And that's funny because I almost mentioned one of the things I was thinking about with uh, this crazy spate of games we've seen lately is we've seen almost every type of game imaginable, but the one Oh game, that's kind of what I was thinking about. Cause the one Oh game, I feel like I haven't looked at the stats, but something tells me it's kind of going extinct or it's certainly yeah. not as uh, around like it used to be. And I, I, I love a good one, nothing game. So it's 
nice to see the Cardinals win this game. I don't know what's going on with the Cubs right now. I'm assuming they're winning because they're playing the, the Mariners. But, uh, no, that's a very solid win. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. Uh, no, and I was just going to say it's nice to see Carlos Martinez as a part of that consistency as well. He was great over the weekend, and he's been a bit of a question mark, not not because he's not capable, but because we never quite know what we're going to get out of him when you know he, he goes out there in the ninth inning, and that's not what you hope for in a closer, but he's been very strong this weekend as well and, and through this first part of uh, of this week, so seeing the pitching do what it needs to do, seeing the bullpen show some uh, cracks here and there. We didn't even talk about Giovanni Gallegos and the fact that, you know, he has not looked as infallible as he has most of the season. Although I would say we, we sort of saw that break with John Gant as well. He's come back and been pretty effective as of late, you know, all those guys out there, John Brebbia went through a period where he was not very good and, then came back after a bit of a rest and it was great again. So maybe it's just that with Gallegos, but like I said, they have reinforcements now. Junior Fernandez is out there. Um, you know, Ponce Leon is going to be out there likely as opposed to starting, um, you know, Ryan Helsley being there gives them some length out of the bullpen. I don't quite understand the Mike Myers thing like that, that one. It probably puzzles me more than any of the other uh, September call-ups, but it does give them another arm. It gives them another option. And, um, you know, that, that certainly tends to come into play in a big way in this last stretch of any season. So it's nice to see the rotation falling into place. I, I asked Daniel Shopta this on a, our show on Sunday night. I'll ask you the same thing. I feel like last year the Cardinals got through that terrific August and then all the young arms they were depending on kind of fell apart. I feel like they're much better positioned this season. One, because a lot of those young arms got experience last year, but two, because they they weren't necessarily great all at the same time most of the year. Now everyone sort of seems to be feeling more comfortable pitching better in their particular roles. Do you do you feel more confident in this young group of pitchers for the Cardinals in uh, in their second go around trying to make a push for the postseason? Oh, a- absolutely. Uh, especially, you know, we're seeing Flaherty pitch right now better than anyone else in the league right now. I yeah. mean, I mean, he's yeah. if, if he's not the best pitcher for the last, what, two months in the National League, then he's certainly in the conversation. Um, whereas at this time last year, I, I don't want to say I'm completely certain about this, but I feel like I remember him fading a bit in September, Yeah, uh, w- which you can expect for a, a, a rookie uh, basically logging his first full season in MLB. Uh you know, we had Gomber out there. We had a, we had just had a lot of I don't know. It just seemed like we were kind of throwing everything out there that we could at him, um, and eventually it just you know stopped working. Um, <laughs> right now, the rotation, uh, believe it or not, you know, seems crazy considering how up in arms we were, uh, you know, at the deadline, and you know that I that includes me. I, I can't wait till the end of the season, and I can. Um, at some point I will, because I like to be transparent and accountable, I'm going to go over all my bad takes uh, I had throughout the season <laughs> and before the season. Uh, I, I think at the top might be when I would be complaining about Schilt and then like tweet out a picture of a smiling Joe Girardi. That that hasn't aged well. <laughs> Schilt's been awesome. Uh, you know, obviously I'm still going to complain about certain things he's done, but yeah, I, I haven't tweeted out a picture of Joe Girardi. <laughs> he's gotten better, though. I mean, I think like no, markedly great. better throughout the season. And there were things that were really frustrating. And I know people will point to I, I'm bringing this up. This is a total diversion from where yeah, we we're going. Fine. But I saw Derek Gould tweet out a link. I haven't read the article yet, but uh, about manager of the year, right? And what that means and and what goes into it and how you determine what that looks like and and how Mike Schilt is one of the the options for a, a, an award like that. People kept pointing to the lineup. People kept pointing to Matt Carpenter. People kept pointing to, you know, he continued to run this guy out there, this guy out there, this. And all of that is true. But I think what I've found with Mike Schilt is that sort of in hindsight, I can see the reasoning for some of those things. And it's not just old school baseball. He's my guy. Like there's an actual reason for all of it. I might not always agree with it, but he has gotten progressively better at sort of managing the people side of the game with the strategy side of the game 
throughout the season, as far as I'm concerned. And that's pretty telling for him to sort of adapt like that on the fly as they're trying to make some noise in the second half. Here's where uh, I really uh, think Schilt deserves a lot of credit. Um, and some of it, I'm not even sure if it's uh, totally on him, but you know, this is stuff we'd certainly be complaining about if, you know, it wasn't good. Um, and that's like the fielding and just like the fundamentals, the base running has just been yeah. remarkably better, noticeably better. Um, you wouldn't even have to look at the stats. If you were just watching, uh, a couple weeks of of this team, they just looked so much more crisp than they did during the Matheny era. So there's that. Yeah. There's the bullpen, um, the way he's managed the bullpen, which is I, I would say almost all season he's been, he's done a great job. Uh, a few times where I'm sure I was complaining about something, uh, he brought someone in or, or whatnot, but he, there's not a single manager in baseball where you're not going to have that if you're watching every single game all year. Ben and I talked about this last week. He's done a great job of taking out starters when he needs to, especially yep. at this time of year. So there's that. There's what I perceive to be a good clubhouse chemistry right now. You know, I say that because who really knows? And especially when you're winning, it's very easy to have good clubhouse chemistry. But this team seems to, they seem to like each other. They, it seems to be a fun place to be. Uh, and, so I, I certainly give him credit for all of that. Um, you know, some of it's harder to quantify, but I know I'd be complaining about it if if the opposite were true and I'd be putting it on the manager. And so if we're going to blame the manager, we can certainly, you know, praise the manager when, when things are going well. I, I think he's a very, if the Cardinals somehow, and I'm not counting on anything at this point, especially with the Cubs schedule down the stretch and the fact that we still have seven games with them and all that. That said, if the Cardinals win the division, to me, Schill is a no-brainer uh, manager of the year. Because Goldschmidt hasn't even been good. Like, <laughs> like we would have thought, if you didn't know anything but for the team's record, like let's say somehow they managed to win 90 games and win the division. And again, I'm not predicting this. We're just talking here. But you knew nothing else about this team. You would assume that Goldschmidt kind of made the difference, right? Because he yeah. was the, you know... He was the big difference between this team and, and last year's team. Uh, and he hasn't been good. Uh, Matt Carpenter has not been good. If, if you would have, if, I don't know, if we would have thought about this before the season and said, okay, so here's what's going to happen. Matt <laughs> Carpenter is going to have probably his worst season in baseball, almost to the point that we just assume uh, that, you know, it might be like this going forward and we just signed this big extension and oh no. And also Paul Goldschmidt is going to be, Barely an above average uh, hitter at the play. He's going to make a nice, you know, first baseman. Um, I don't think that should be overlooked. He's certainly been a yep, nice, agreed. you know, he makes some very nice plays. Um, but yeah, he's not going to be the Paul Goldschmidt that you thought you were getting. Um, let's see what else. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's going to have his normal stint on the DL. The pitching is going to be, the starting pitching is going to be such a disaster for the first uh, um, half of the season that that's all we're, the whole fan base going to be complaining about. Um, I mean, you're thinking that's a 83 and 79 team, right? Yeah. Like, or, or worse. Um, yeah. So, you know, and it's mostly on the players. Like Wong has been great. DeYoung has taken a huge step forward. Uh, Ozuna has, has probably been our best hitter. But to me, that all adds up to uh, uh, Schilt being manager of the year. And yeah. uh, well, I don't know how much time is worth even uh, to even discuss <laughs> it's such like a pointless um, <laughs> award uh, so maybe we've already spent too much time talking about it but whatever but I do think whether it's the award or not or just sort of how he's managed this this second half for the team I do think it's significant I don't think you can overlook that as part of what has made the difference is you know just as much as Colton Wong taking off or Yadier Molina coming back off of the IL and playing like he's 10 years younger than he is or, you know, whatever it is, any one of those things can have a significant impact. I think Mike Schultz has had the same effect. And I think, I think it happens in ways that you really can't quantify. For example, if a, if a manager of a baseball team that has to play 162 games a season manage the team like Twitter wants them to, it would probably be a complete disaster because he has to manage these people for 162 games and you can't burn that bridge 
after the first 15, right? So there are decisions that he's had to make that have been for the long term. There are things that he's had to do in order to establish that rapport with the players as their manager that maybe don't show up right away. And and all of those things you, you can't really quantify. However, I do think every time I hear him really give a thoughtful answer about a player that's struggling or a decision that he made. For example, he talked a, a lot about Matt Carpenter not too long ago. And just on a human level, like I want Mike Schilt on my team. <laughs> I want him as the guy who's got my back when things are tough, because I feel like he's everything you want <laughs> in a support system, but he also has to balance that with the strategy of baseball. And that's why, uh, why I think it's just an incredibly difficult job. There's a reason that not very many people can do it and be good at it. Uh, Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, you, you said something that reminded me uh, that I used to have this theory. Uh, you know how we always used to debate, um, sometimes complain about the short bench, you know, having that extra arm in the bullpen yeah. um, at the expense of only having four men on the bench. I used to have this kind of theory that like managers who did that, uh, including our, our previous manager. And, you know, as far as I know, we did that this year. I don't even, I don't even remember what our, what the numbers were, uh, or are, I guess I should say, but I had this theory that managers would do that because it just made their job easier, not having five guys on the bench and trying to delegate <laughs> them playing time. And they're like, you know, I just throw another guy in the bullpen. He'll just be happy. You know, he's not in Memphis. <laughs> you know, he's not going to complain <laughs> if I never pitch him. But, you know, if I had this fifth guy on the bench, you know, who's going to want playing time, then I have to deal with that. And, you know, that's hard. I'm going to have to hurt his feelings, you know, if I'm not starting this guy enough. So, yeah, just give me a short bench. It's going to make my make my, you know, our team might be worse, but it's going to make my life a lot easier. <laughs> what do you think? Is that a, I, listen, that if a, I had uh, to, plausible theory? is it possible that could happen? I don't know how realistic it is, <laughs> but I do think that, you know, anytime you're dealing with guys that have egos and they have, you know, they have contracts to play for and they all want to be out there oh, and they all yeah. think that that like, that's, it's a lot more than just the X's and O's of baseball that you're dealing with. And if you can make that easier on yourself, I I would imagine that is at least a thought that has crossed some minds before. If if you can more easily decide to give a guy mop-up innings versus a guy who's gonna sit on the bench for, you know, four games out of six, um, yeah, that that like I said, I don't know how realistic it is, but it makes sense. It's a logical <laughs> it's a logical reason to to go that route. <laughs> I would be such a wimp as a manager. I would just have like uh, two guys. Yeah. On <laughs> One of them's your backup catcher, the rest, so he can never yeah, play. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. The rest of the guys just buried in the bullpen. Yeah, yeah. And then they're all the way over there, so I never exactly. Have you don't have to look them in the eye. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're pitchers, yeah. so they're probably not going to be around that much. You know, with the mm -hmm. rest of the <laughs> yeah. I see where I see where you're at there. Not a not a bad theory. Um, but the point is, I feel like Mike Schultz has done a really good job of balancing the the people part of this business and the baseball part of this business. And it didn't all come together right away. It wasn't something that necessarily happened right off the top of the season. And, you know, for all I know, maybe that's why they struggled a little bit um, in, in the month of May when there were decisions that maybe should have been made that weren't or whatever it is. I, I don't know. But it's been fun watching him grow as a manager as well as it has been watching, say, Colton Wong develop into a, a guy who's a, a legitimate core piece of this team, like some of us <laughs> always thought he could be. And again, I think in large part because of the manager. And I don't think that can be overlooked. Colton, you're talking about yeah. Colton progress being, yeah, it's it certainly seems possible. Uh, you know, we always would read those stories concerning uh, the previous manager that, you know, Colton never felt like he had a solid footing, I, I guess, in the lineup every day and, you know, kind of allegedly messed with his head. And, and that's certainly the case. And absolutely, can we, um, I, I don't even know if credit's the right word because it seems like kind of not the hardest move to make, which is commit to your second baseman. Who <laughs> it shouldn't have been. <laughs> yeah, a former first round draft pick and guy who, you know, certainly played solid defense and stuff like that. But listen, if Mark Ellis was the guy that took your job, you'd have a bit of a complex yeah. too. <laughs> yeah. So whatever Mike Schultz is doing, even if it's, you know, not playing the, the 2019 equivalent of Mark Ellis, I don't even know who that would be at this point over Colton Wong props to you, Mike Schultz and, uh, and to the Cardinals for living up to expectations.
You know, we, uh, and not just us, but anytime I listen to any other podcast, it's hard to not bring up Matheny yeah. uh, and complain about Matheny. Uh, so what was something you liked about Matheny? Okay. I'm being, I'm being uh, in earnest. What was something you liked um, about Matheny? The thing that I will always go back to with Mike Matheny is the way that he handled the team, in particular Carlos Martinez, after the death of Oscar Tavares. And that's a very specific incident, so I don't know if that's really what you're looking for, but I think it it emphasized a a quality about Mike Matheny that I don't really think we got to see very often. I thought... No, go ahead. Sorry. So the way that he handled that, the way that he kind of emphasized making sure that Carlos was okay, because, look, we all know he's... He's a character. He's got got a bit of a wild side. He's he kind of swings emotions wildly in game. You can see it happen. And for Mike Matheny to know that that was a concern, he made sure that Carlos knew he was there. Um, outside of the lines of a baseball field, he was there. I think that made a difference in how he and Carlos Martinez interacted on the field as well. Which is, I felt like that was what we expected Mike Matheny to be really good at. We didn't always see it, but in that particular incident, I thought we saw it beautifully. And and I will always point back to that as one of the moments that I respected him the most. I thought his statement following the death of Oscar Tabaris was um, the high point of his uh, tenor as manager. Yeah. Um, and I don't even mean that in like a uh, haha. It's not even something that happened on the field. That's how bad he was. I don't even mean like that. I thought this statement was so pitch perfect that it was one of the. I, I, I again, I don't mean to be bagging on the guy, but it was one of the few times where I was like really proud that he was the Cardinals yeah. manager. It was a great, great statement. Another time I can think of where I was just kind of like, huh, I like Mike Matheny. Um, this was very fleeting, but uh, in in game whatever game it was, it may have been I think it was game six of the 2013 NLCS when Joe Kelly and uh, what was Andy Van Slyke's son? What, what's his son's name again? Oh, Scott. Is that right? Yes. Is that right? Well, whatever. I think whatever <laughs> the, the standoff. Yeah, but yes, they had the national anthem standoff, which we've seen that a bunch now. Uh, this, uh, you know, I've seen that happen several times since then, and it hasn't really uh, made me laugh or I never thought it was that great. But at the time I'd never seen this happen before. And I thought it was like really, really a radical thing. <laughs> like what, is, yeah. what are these guys doing? This is a very important game and they won't get off the field. And then finally, when one of them uh, walked off the field, I forget who won, but uh, and Joe Kelly finally returned to the dugout and my Matheny was actually kind of laughing. And I was like, Oh my gosh, yeah. he's like a real human being. You know, this is, <laughs> uh, this is a good Mike Matheny moment. Yeah, you know, I think it's I think it's those moments, right, where we're like, oh, this is who Mike Matheny really is, that we were able to you know, kind of buy into that a little more. I think he tried to protect that part of himself and the players so much for whatever reason. Like, he felt that was going to be used against them in some yeah. way that uh, we lost a lot of that. Yeah. And I think that's what became such a problem as far as the public perception uh- um, of all of that. I'm certainly not qualified to make this diagnosis, but I always thought maybe he had this idea in his head of like what a baseball man yeah. should be. Uh, and so he was trying to be that that curated image or something. I don't know. Yeah. But I think the the resounding point is those human moments are, are what we wished there had been more of. Um, so it wasn't all bad, but <laughs> I, I think... <laughs> I think the the difference is clear in the yeah. way that the team has reacted. And look, you can be a really great human being and not be really great at managing people on that level and under that pressure. And at least in the uh, experience that he had, it it was just not not working for him or the people around him. Um, yeah. As for Mike Schilt, he stepped into what could have been a pretty hostile environment at that point and was able to sort of mend some fences and then carry on with that this year, particularly in the second half. And we're looking at a team that I don't know if I buy it yet as far as what they're capable of, but man, they're fun to watch right now. Yeah. It's going to, these next couple of weeks are going to be a bumpy ride. Yeah. Uh, I just realized I'm going to be in Nashville with all my college, with some, some of my college friends, the the last weekend of the season we play the Cubs because uh, we all turned 40 this year. And I guess, that's what you do when you turn 40. You go and be old with your friends um, for a weekend. So I'm going to miss it uh, or 
I'm certainly not going to be watching every inning like I normally would. So I, I haven't. I don't know if that's a good or bad. I mean, <laughs> might be better for your nerves. Thing, yeah, but it could be good. I, I don't know. And one of my friends who's going to be there is a huge Cubs fan. Oh so, boy, you know, yeah. just just uh, avoid watching the games all together. Check your phone every now and then, <laughs> yeah. or watch together and make it a whole thing. I don't know. I don't know which would be worse. For now, though, we'll enjoy the fact that the Cardinals are at least holding serve with the Cubs, who, as you mentioned, are playing the Mariners. Not great as far as the Cardinals gaining ground, but crazier things have happened. So that's enough of this team for the night. Alex, do you have the chirp of the week for us after handing it off to the guest last week? I do. And so the game that just occurred kind of uh, lends itself well to what I was planning on talking about. Uh, Marcelo Zuna hit a uh, home run to Big Macland. That was the only run scored in the game. As I mentioned, Cardinals won one nothing. Um, and as we know, uh, a couple of weeks ago, Paul DeYoung hit a home run to Big Macklin, or almost a Big Macklin. I guess it has to didn't quite land in Big Macklin because it hit the M. It almost went in, through Big Macklin. <laughs> yes, yes, it almost went through Big Macklin. It hit the M in Mac, and it knocked out the sign, knocked out the M, which uh, is still out of commission. It still just says Big Ackland. By the way, I love that everyone is totally leaning into that. No one's calling yeah. it Big Mac Land. Anywhere you see it written, it's just Big Ack Land. I, I think I, it's hilarious. Anyway, I continue. Like, I like that it hasn't been fixed yet. It's a, it's a nice <laughs> daily reminder of that home run. I, I, it would, uh, I don't know. I almost feel like they should, just for good uh, luck, not fix it until the season's over. Uh, I support that idea. Yeah. So it reminded me of a game I was at. On May 16th, 1998, I was sitting, because I was looking at the ticket stub, I was sitting in section 360 at Old Bush, row 7, seat 16. Uh, that had a face value of $11 uh, back in 1998. Um, and it was a Cardinals game against the Marlins, uh, Florida Marlins back then. And that was a game when in the fourth inning, Mark McGuire hit a solo home run up center field, which purportedly went 545 uh, feet. Uh, I was at this game. It was my last weekend in college, and I convinced them. I was a freshman, and I convinced a uh, a friend of mine to drive to St. Louis with me to go watch a baseball game. And apparently, um, he didn't enjoy his freshman year that much either because he agreed to do it. Um, uh, college got a lot better after that, though. Uh, anyway, uh, so yeah, so I was at this game, and he and McGuire hit this crazy home run. Um, again, I'm I'm way far in the nosebleeds at Bush, uh, and. As most people know, it hit off that post-dispatch sign. You remember that, Tara? I remember the story, but I don't remember it specifically. Okay, so yeah, it hit off, it hit off um, the post-dispatch sign um, and then bounced into like kind of that shrubbery that was right up center field. Live, I didn't see it bounce off the sign. I just saw it land in the shrubbery. So I was very confused later when they put on the scoreboard that it went 545 <laughs> feet. I thought, wow, they are really uh, amping up the... Uh, you know, the long ball estimations here at Bush uh, for the crowd. Um, but yeah, to hit the post-dispatch sign, actually, and they marked it with a Band-Aid um, for the rest of the season. Nice. Um, you know, I, I returned a few times that summer, and there was still that huge Band-Aid over the post-dispatch sign, just like how the uh, M in Big Mac land is uh, no longer there. Um, and like I said, it went 545 feet, uh, allegedly, uh, because hit tracker online actually analyzed that home run uh, several years ago and they you know they brought in all this nerdy stuff like you know elevation and you know the trajectory of the ball and even like atmospheric conditions and they concluded that it actually only went 487 feet um which is still a pretty awesome home <laughs> yeah. run like uh i'd be surprised if there are any home runs this year that have gone further than 487 feet um and if there are there certainly aren't many but that was McGuire's 16th home run of the season uh, that year. And again, that was on uh, May 16th, uh, which seems like a lot of home runs, um, you know, through May yeah. 16th. But not when you hit 70 yeah, for, for the whole true. season. You know, it's kind of like, you know, just a normal pace, I guess. Other fun trivia about that game, which the Cardinals ended up winning 5-4, uh, mostly because of a uh, Brian Jordan home run in the seventh inning, which gave them the lead for good. Uh, but some other fun trivia about that game, Tara, is Mike Piazza was a Marlin. Okay. Um, you know, he got traded from the Dodgers and went to the Mets. But what some people may not remember is it was kind of like a three-way trade with the Marlins, who were also involved. And I'm going to have to read up on this. But for if I recall, 
he was like just traded to the Marlins as kind of like a formality. I don't know if it was a money issue or what, um, but he was on the Marlins for like a week. Um, and he got into this game and I believe he hit like a, uh, I think he like hit like a sacrifice or, or something like that. Um, so yeah, Mike Piazza was a Marlin and then was traded to the Mets like two days later. Willie McGee uh, started the game in left field and hit a double. Uh, Todd Stottlemyre threw a complete game, even though he gave up four runs and threw 120 <laughs> pitches, which uh, doesn't sound like a start that would happen today. But yeah, that was uh, May 16th, uh, 1998. Mark McGuire's 545-foot home run or 487-foot uh, home run, depending on who you want to believe. I'm fine with a 545 feet. That sounds so much more fun. Uh, and McGuire did say it was the best ball he, he's ever hit. And to me, if, my, if Mark McGuire's saying that, then I'm fine believing he hit it 10,000 feet. Yeah, that, that seems to, to hold up. I, I think we can, we can give him that one uh, as opposed to letting, you know, like science and math and stuff ruin it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy with giving him that number if you are as well. And we'll just, you know, we'll just make an executive decision and decide that that's what it is. Yeah. So I got distracted a bit because I just apparently something crazy is happening with the Mets. I'm about to find out after we. Uh... Yeah, I was seeing Twitter freaking out about that, too. So we'll have to we'll have to investigate that after we wrap this up, uh, which I believe we're just about to do. Good news is no one's computer died this week <laughs> during the trip of the week. So we can actually wrap up the show, although uh, there are some votes out there about um, that that sign off as the best ever. So maybe I should just follow up with that. Can I tell you what the Mets did? And uh, yes, please tell me what uh, the Mets they did. They went into the ninth with a six run lead. They lost the game. Oh no. <laughs> uh, remember <Yeah>. that hot <laughs> second when everybody was like, wait, are the Mets yeah. actually good now? Yeah. Um, yeah. No, the answer, the, the Cubs broke them again. So no, sorry. <laughs> sorry, Mets fans. Um, Anyway, I'm going the game tomorrow against the Mets. There you uh, go. Nats and Mets. I can laugh at them. There you go. You can see it all for yourself. Uh, Well, Alex is going to the game tomorrow. I'm not going to a game tomorrow. We'll be back next week, though, to hopefully still be talking about good things happening for the Cardinals. Although at this point, all bets are off. I mean, if the if the Mets can. I don't know. We we won't go there. No, we're not going to make any comparisons at this point. The Cardinals playing good baseball. Jack Flaherty and Harrison Bader playing like they want to prove that last year wasn't a fluke and everyone else following suit. Plus, Mike Schilt is good at managing. Who knew? (laughs) That's the show for this week. I'm Tara. He's Alex. Make sure you follow us on Twitter. I'm sure you're already doing that at this point. Follow Birds on the Black on Twitter if you want to keep up with this show and all the other great content from the site. And if you're following us, following the show on a platform that allows you to rate or review it, that would be super helpful because um, then we can know what you like and what you don't like. Uh, And also other people can too. And that way, if they're looking for a new show to listen to, they can find ours. That's the spiel. That's the show. We'll talk to you next week.